brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about hoarders, shopaholics, and uh, their emptiness inside. These folks uh, tend to attach themselves to objects as emotional attachments. They they see these objects as, as like another person or a memory or something. But what, what they do is these folks are generally very empty inside, and what they're looking for is things outside that, that they can attach to. And so this is generally the issue with most hoarders is they develop what's called object relations, which we all have in childhood, but uh, they, they, they attach to these objects because they can't attach to anyone else. So, you know, let's look at what a hoarder is. You know, the definition is someone who basically collects things in their home, but they're obsessive about it. It includes things that would commonly be thrown away like bags or toilet paper, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing inside the toilet paper or old food or broken items. And, um, you know, basically it's a mental illness and is characterized by a compulsive need to purchase or acquire items uh, uh, from various sources and keep them even when they are no longer useful. And, and no one really understands where hoarding came from, and uh, you know. But basically, what is a result is the clutter often interferes with everyday life and activities. And basically, what they do is they drive people away from them uh, by doing this. And, and animal hoarding is also another issue. And uh, basically, what happens it, it can begin innocently with hoarding or wanting to help rescue uh, stray cats or stray dogs, and it turns into a situation where a whole large number of animals are living with inadequate care and unsanitary uh, conditions. And, and uh, it can stem from obsessive compulsive disorder, but it also can stem from an impulse disorder or attention deficit disorder or even obsessive compulsive personality. Disorder, And, it, you know, it is a serious condition because from a health perspective, these dudes are filthy and there are germ, 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 germs everywhere. You know, an example of a hoarder is someone who has difficulty walking through their house because of excessive piles and boxes of things that are in the way. And it's, it is a persistently difficult discarding or parting with the possessions once they start. And regardless of their actual value, the behavior usually has delirious effects like emotional, physical, social, financial, even legal for a hoarder and their, their family members and their, God forbid, their neighbors. You know, um, for those who hoard, the, quality, the quantity of their collected items uh, sets them apart from other people. And commonly, hoarded items may be like newspapers or magazines or paper, plastic bags, cardboard boxes, photographs, household supplies, food, clothing, all of the above. They have a tendency to hoard onto. And, and for those who hoard, the, the uh, 
you know, hoarding can be related uh, to, to, to compulsive buying, and that's why we're going to talk about um, shopaholics. You know, basically, they feel a sentimental value to certain types of things, so they develop little collections, and those little collections turn into obsessions. And then all of a sudden, that's all they buy is things related. You know, there's all kinds of people that have hobbies like Disney hoarders. I mean, there's people that just go nuts over certain things. You know, but the the diminished quality of life is the biggest problem. A lack of uh, functional living space is common among them. And and who they they, they also live in very uh, unhealthy, dangerous conditions. And they often live with broken appliances without heat or other necessary comforts. And they and they cope with malfunctioning systems rather than allowing a qualified person into their home to fix the problem. They have enormous amounts of guilt and shame. It also causes anger, resentment, depression among the family members, and it can affect the social development of the children, especially. Unlivable conditions may lead to separation, divorce, eviction, even loss of child custody and it may lead to serious financial problems as well because there is the cleanup after this horrible horrible thing so what are some of the symptoms well cluttered living spaces and inability to discard items keeping stacks of newspaper magazines junk mail moving items from one pile to another without discarding anything acquiring an unneeded or seemingly useless items including trash difficulty maintaining daily activities procrastinating which I equivocate to depression by the way and troublemaking decisions they have very difficult time organizing and uh, you know they also have an excessive attachment to possessions and discomfort letting others touch or borrow their possessions they even become paranoid that you may throw them away um, they also it it's, uh, affects their social life enormously you know, so someone who hoards has just basically a severe anxiety when attempting to discard the items. They, they have great difficulty categorizing, uh, categorizing or organizing their possessions. They're very indecisive people and they distress and they feel overwhelmed and embarrassed by their possessions, yet they prize them so much more than human relationships. You know, they, they, they're, they're functional impairments is basically social isolation, family, marital discord, financial difficulties, health hazards. This is all a part of their general collecting. You know, the psychology is, once again, basically all about um, what causes someone to become a hoarder. How can a pack rat escalate to a hoarder at such a severe magnitude? And, and if there was a study at the Mayo Clinic, there is not any clear uh, uh, evidence of what causes a hoarding. However, age, severe hoarding is very common in middle-aged adults around the age of 50. Their hoarding tendencies usually begin around 11 to 15. And during these early teenage years, they typically save broken toys, outdated school papers, pencil, you know, nubs. Most of the time, and this is just coming out of the study, and it's in, these are general terms. Most of the time, the personality, often they struggle with severe indecisiveness and a lot of anxiety. 
also their genetics. Although hoarding is not entirely a genetic disorder, there is some genetic predisposition involved in it. But it also has an environmental factor. A lot of people that have had hoarders that they love or in their family have that example as a coping skill. And oftentimes, many people will branch out and over uh, many generations develop hoarding tendencies. Also, you know, from trauma, many hoarders experienced a stressful or a traumatic event that propels them into hoarding such as the coping mechanism. And, and also, hoarders are often socially withdrawn and isolated, but they don't necessarily have had that tendency when they were younger. And it causes them to hoard as a way to find comfort. They're basically building a fort around themselves. You know, everybody in, you know, researchers, doctors, psychologists, they always look for the treatments for hoarding and uh, basically um, it, exposing the hoarding is the one thing that drives hoarders to have to look at themselves, taking pictures and giving it back to them and letting them look at how they used to live and how they live now, what normal is and what abnormal is. You know, it's estimated that one to two million people in North America are living in, in, in so much clutter that they can barely walk through their homes or find a place to sit or a place to rest or a place to put their plate down. And although it's not classified as a, a separate disorder, in most recent version in the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health, Compulsive hoarding is a debilitating condition that can destroy relationships, tears families apart. And uh, statistics show that about 15 to 30 percent of individuals diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder also become hoarding people or have hoarding tendencies. And recent studies have also shown that individuals have, have both OCD and exhibited hoarding symptoms were more likely to have experienced at least one traumatic life event in comparison to those with just OCD alone. So, you know, the act of uh, compulsive shopping and obsessive needed to collect and even keep marital uh, material objects maybe is severe coping mechanism for grief, loss, and post-traumatic stress. So when you're doing therapy, you have to explore that kind of a background. You know, it often... It, it, it just results in very unhealthy attachments, an, an emotional relationship with objects. I mean, there there's a, a lady that told me that a friend of hers that's a hoarder, that when she uh, showed her stuff that can be thrown away, like newspapers and stuff like that, she said, well, I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for them, for the newspaper. Isn't that amazing that an object can take on a human form even over their own family, even over their own loved ones because they love the object because they feel an unconditional, not just conditional, but an unconditional attachment to those objects. You know, treating a hoarded problem is far more complicated than simply cleaning the individual's house and throwing the offending possessions away. If the underlying issue is not properly treated, the hoarder will simply begin to accumulate new possessions and quickly refill the cleared spaces. In cases where hoarding behavior is linked to traumatic event, therapies such as cognitive behavior therapy can be effective. And it teaches the person to cope with emotions related to the triggering traumatic event to manage the grief in a healthy way and also to get back to their relationships in life with other people. It literally creates a mess so visible to others 
that the disorder is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to disguise. And, and it is just there. It's right in your face. And the disarray, it leads to very serious health and safety hazards. And it causes hoarding to carry a great deal of uh, a stigma. You know, without proper education, it's easy for people to assume that hoarders are merely dirty or lazy. In fact, these individuals are suffering from usually trauma-related psychological pain and may require treatment by a mental health professional. You know, fortunately, there's a growing number of practitioners who now specialize in treating the condition and helping to reduce the stigma. And common signs, once again, is keeping useless items, useless items, uh, containers, uh, borrowing, uh, taking items uh, that, that normally would not uh, be something that someone would value and they just keep them forever and ever and ever and so uh, procrastination is also a sign that a person has hoarding tendencies, lack of organization, poor decision making. These are typical symptoms of recognizing a hoarder. Now, what does this do to a family? You know, inside hoarding homes, cultural norms of a family life are squeezed out as the parents become entrenched in the flow and the placement of objects. So with the need to feel in order to control the process, it's clearly out of control. So hoarders are unable to distinguish between healthy and unhealthy, unneeded and just too much. And so the processes that support appropriate growth and differentiation from family members all of a sudden becomes overlooked. And, and so the person's value becomes secondary to a good deal. And as family members struggle through the hoarders often feel criticized, they feel rejected, they feel shunned, and they turn to objects for safety, success, and the fulfillment of many misguided beliefs or values. They cannot see the hoarders that their behavior subjugates the entire family to a life that is permanently altered. You know, where, where severe ho uh, hoarding exists, families rarely have a space for shared activities or they're forced to combine their spaces inappropriately or they end up eating in their room and never being able to have any social relationship within their family. And uh, sometimes the kids are forced to even sleep in the same bed as their parent because now their room has become trashed and now their room has become storage for the hoarder. You know, sometimes children are forced to live in one space that serves all of these functions. A vacant spot on a couch is used for sleeping, doing homework, watching television and eating. And these poor kids, they can never, ever bring their friends home. They can't even bring their friends home because that would expose what they have to live in. And it's horrendous. In some cases, you know, uh, the, 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 the objects that should never be in a home are occupied the living spaces like rotten food, garbage, molded piles of newspaper, insects, rodents infiltrate the home, air quality becomes toxic, and the pets and when pets are in the home, the options often get covered with with poop and pee. And as a result, the children suffer health problems such as asthma, and they're in grave risk for being trapped in the home uh, in a house fire or, or bitten by a pest. It's, it's just amazing what these hoarders can do, and they need to be treated. They need to be treated. Even when the house is unfit, hoarders often view their children as safest under their care. Some of these hoarders, hoarders expose their children to abhorrent conditions rather than face public scrutiny or risk losing them. So children often realize 
that if they talked about their family secrets, they could lose their parents and their home. What a tragic choice a kid would have to make to have to deal with a parent that's a hoarder. They can't even talk about what they go home to. And naturally, children will endure a great deal of pain before risking uh, home and family. And when they reach adulthood, they see the disorder has only gotten worse and their parent resists the treatment and intervention in any way. And so, you know, what kind of disorder is so gripping that it won't let go? You know, what kind of disorder takes hoarders, often good, decent people, away from their families, away from the possibility of of truly fulfilling a good life? These guys have poor insight into their problem, and they underestimate their severity. They are no longer able to look from the outside in. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about family again. Then we're going to move on into uh, some helping the hoarders and what it does hoarding does to relationships. And then we're going to talk a little about shopaholics. Come back. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're going to talk about, uh, we're talking about hoarders and shopaholics. We're going to get to shopaholics in a little bit. They run a very similar profile, but have a little different style of of, uh, coping with life. But, you know, early in life, children of hoarders are very confused by their parents' behavior. The parents can show their clear signs of devotion, especially in areas that do not compromise hoarding. They, they, they'll work tirelessly to support their children's opportunity, but refuse to let them get rid of the objects and the most that most jeopardize their lives. You know, for example, at work, a mother cheerfully organizes treats bags, uh, treat bags to celebrate every holiday at home, and then she confines uh, food preparation and the microwave meals, fearing uh, a report to the authorities that parents should avoid calls for repair services. I mean, it's just amazing what what links a hoarder will go to hoard. You know, children of hoarders learn how to live without basic comforts, and they relinquish all hope 
for a home-cooked meal shared at a family table. You know, attachment to the hoarding parent is commonly secured by participating, gathering in the process. And so a trip to the zoo is replaced with a trip to the flea market. And, and so while parents, you know, acquire objects, their children fall uh, fail to live a normal life and a huge cost for parents' distorted relationship with objects. You know, they witness their parents and their family slipping away. The children do. And the, the, the boundaries get blurred because of the hoarder's choices overshadow and dominate those of the family members. And they have a need to decide what everyone will have and keep uh, restrictions on children's personal choices. So as objects invade the home, they block the usual pathways to intimacy. And and as the disorder intensifies, family members feel devalued. They feel brokenhearted. They feel angry, helpless, exhausted. And psychological risks abound because life is defined by restricted space and the hoarders need to control the home. And so children abandon their own needs for change or help and learn to accept the unacceptable because these hoarders are so ridiculously overbearing. And some just stay inside. Some of these kids just stay inside and isolate and sometimes concerned relatives take the children in eventually. And secrecy about the home is is usually supported by fear of the parents' reactions. So the parents get angry to the slightest confrontation. So revealing the family secret could have a huge emotional consequences. Now, if we look at the adult children of hoarders, as children get older, the psychological cost of accommodating the disorder becomes more apparent. They become more conscious of their own uh, vulnerability, their own worthlessness, their bone, bone helplessness, their own hopelessness, disgust, embarrassment, and social isolation because of what they grew up in. They are devalued as the objects become more valued. So these folks lack any sense of self-esteem, these adult children. And their psychological pain is most connected to feeling less value than the stuff being hoarded. And so, you know, when adult children hoarders attempt to battle the clutter monster, they usually find themselves rejected by their parents. And confronting the hoarder too harshly or intervening without permission can deepen the mistrust, intensify psychological pain of both people, and ignite personal, interpersonal conflict that deepens already psychological or pathological situations. So, you know, some adult children simply walk away from their entire family knowing their separation is not only hope for a better life, and even from afar, they wonder, will I have to raise my younger siblings. And that is the deepest trauma that adult children of hoarders have to deal with. You know, parents uh, rarely prepare for being disabled or too old to hoard. You see, so there's some therapeutic interventions that can help. You know, many patients uh, never reveal that they have lived or are living in hoarding homes. And increased the disclosure by hoarding can can curtail its long-term effects. So mental health professionals can ask children suspected of living in hoarded homes several questions. And keep in mind that many are frightened to tell the truth. You know, we can also help adult children address the effects of hoarding on their lives when possible by devising a plan to involve their parents and their siblings in therapy. Family therapy can often start the process because it's going from the outside in. And also, uh, adult children of hoarders who seek help from mental health professionals are baffled by the facts that their parents' lives 
and and they're grateful for any information that increases understanding if in the if even if the advice is not to help you know not helping ends when young siblings and severely impaired or dependent adults live in a severely hoarded and dangerous houses sometimes you just have to break from it and get away from it because they just don't want to stop there's also often uh, in services in in uh, communities and in counties where they have hoarding task force. And these have professional organizers, mental health providers, public agencies and departments like fire police, house inspection, public health, human protection. They're all combined. And the county helps to take on these hoarders and helps them get uh, get the help they need. There also is... Uh, you know, the cumulative burden on hoarded households on public resources and safety. Um, th- because basically a hoarder, their house is, is like a matchstick. And if it lights up, the whole neighborhood can light up. And they don't realize their impact that that home could have on the entire community. And, and uh, you know, we're in the early days of taking on hoarding, but it is something that needs to be done. And so, you know, you have to realize they may not realize that they have a problem and they do not often seek or want help. Even if they do recognize the, the problem, the worst thing to do is to volunteer to go in and throw things away for them or to go in and throw things away when they're not around. The best approach is to sit down and talk with the person about the problem, calm and reasonable. Uh, some additional suggestions would be don't use judgmental language. Uh, don't try to argue or persuade them. Focus initially on safety and organization, and you work on discarding later. Show empathy, but you don't need to agree with the person. And that means you understand. I hear what you're saying, so what you're telling me is this. You know, um, but these hoarding task forces, these can be extremely effective for people that have to deal with hoarders. Now, compulsive uh, 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 buying disorder, uh, it's it's called uh, onyomania which is a Greek term, which means for sale, uh, and also insanity. And it's characterized by uh, obsessive shopping and buying behavior that causes adverse consequences, usually on the finances. And a lot of these folks at home have objects that they purchased that they got on sale. So, you know, the TJ Maxx's of the world and the Marshall's of the world and the Ross's of the world love these kind of people. Usually they have so many objects packed away in closets and in, in, in anywhere they can put them. And basically most of this stuff still has the tags on them. They're not bought to be worn. These are trophies. And that's what they have, tons and tons and tons of trophies. And these trophies are an emotional attachment for them because they got them on sale. And basically what happens is they keep hoard, they keep basically hoarding and shopping, and that shopping and spending makes them feel euphoric. It makes them feel emotional that they're getting a new trophy. And so imagine you feel validated every time you make a purchase and what happens is that 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 getting that great deal, despite how ugly whatever it is you're purchasing, that great deal feels so good because you're the one. You won. And that winning and that need to win is, is an upper. And it basically gives them an antidepressant, a feeling that pulls them out of their regular depression. So what they do is they go to what they're most, most familiar with, which is shopping. And so they shop and they shop and they shop basically to make themselves feel better and they end up spending 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 when they could actually pay ten dollars a month if they have 
uh, um, uh, insurance and uh, get an antidepressant, which will do the same thing. But no, no, no. They got to go spend all of their money. Now, now there's some shopaholics who shop for food. And uh, basically, they get caught in a vicious cycle of buying and returning. So they, they're, they're, you know, these are called bulimic shoppers. They buy and return. And also, there's shopaholics who go to restaurants that are having great deals. And they go there and they eat and eat and eat. And it may not be healthy food. But what they do is they're using that as a way to cope with their depression. There's also the shopaholics who want the image of being a big spender and love flashy items. Because that makes them feel like, wow, I'm, I'm incredible. But no, the bottom line is they're empty inside. And so what they're doing is they're attaching to external objects to make them uh, feel better. Oftentimes, shopaholics get their fa- uh, finances into horrible amounts of trouble. And their, finan- their kids and their family and their partner are just defeated by the fact that this person puts these objects so much more in front of them. When they could go pay for a college education for all they've purchased, instead, that's what they did. They bought a bunch of crap at TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Ross or wherever they they go to get their trophies, and they end up blowing up the whole finances of the family. And credit card companies love these crazy people. They love them because they buy and buy and buy and buy, and they're never able to pay it off. You know, uh, also social concessions are at play and they play in a very important role with shopaholics. You know, there's a rise of consumer culture contributing to the view of compulsive buying. Uh, um, It's basically a postmodern addiction. You know, it's people that get credit cards. They don't see what the money is. They don't even look at the money. It's like going to Vegas. You look at a token. You don't you don't attach it to money. It doesn't turn into money until you go to the booth. And so what happens is these fee pills look at the credit card. They don't look at the fact that that is money and they end up blowing thousands and thousands of dollars shopping compulsively and destructively and chronically buying and buying, buying on these credit cards, but not attributing the credit cards to actual cash. You know, if they actually had to pay cash, what would happen is some of these crazy shopaholics would calm it down because it it becomes more real that you're trading cash for an object. You know, uh, social psychology uh, perspective suggests that convulsive buying may be seen as an exaggerated form of more normal search for validation through purchasing. The, the fact that you get something on sale validates. Being validated is something that all people crave. They want to feel right. They want to feel as if they are the great person. And uh, oftentimes, uh, these people take back uh, what they've purchased. Many people get the trophy, and then they realize when they get home, it really doesn't fit in their life, and then they take it back. And stores go crazy with these kind of people because they cannot make their mind up. So they go back and forth, they take things back that they cannot use. And that's a good thing. At least they take it back and get a refund. But sometimes what they do is they take that money and go buy something else and get a new trophy. And so it just goes on and on and on. And in a global context where we're all encouraged to to shop till we drop, compulsive shopping inevitably poses a further question. You know, a a, a massive problem. 
advertisements offering not so much products as narratives such as uh, glamour to identity to compulsive buying, the the attachments of sunglasses to a certain image or clothing to a certain image is something that many of the shopaholics want to strive for. And so what they do is they create a personality that they'd like to be by purchasing certain objects, but those objects don't always look good on them. And so what they're doing is they're attaching themselves to an image and those purchases really don't mean anything to them as a person, but they look, they remind them of an image that they're trying to strive for. And so, you know, you have to look look deeper at how this stuff works. Well, number one, it's depression and treating depression can oftentimes deal with them not needing to cope with life in such a way. Now, what are some of the signs? You know, if, if uh, a person has a whole lot of unopened or tagged items in their closet, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're not talking about gifts that you've been given that you cannot stand. We're talking about stuff they've gone out and purchased and it's just sitting there. You know, uh, you often purchase things that you don't need or don't plan to buy. And all of a sudden, impulsively, once you get to a place and you start seeing those shiny objects that you like, you buy them. You know, they often go to the clearance section. They love the clearance section because that justifies their purchase, makes them feel better. You know, I got 80% off on this. And, and this is a, but, but I don't, the problem is they don't understand that they don't usually wear or use what they're purchasing. You know, an, uh, an argument and frustration sparks an urge for them to shop. Oftentimes, if there's conflict with their partner, with their children, they go on the shopping binge to make themselves feel better. These are, uh, these are signs that a person may be a shopaholic. Um, also, um, if, if you uh, tend to binge on comfort food or uh, after a bad day, studies suggest you may be more likely to indulge in shopping spree. Also, the purchases are followed by feelings of remorse. There's a lot of guilt and shame in these folks. They hide these items all over the place just so people won't see embarrassingly what they've purchased. Um, you know, if you're finding uh, hiding shopping bags in your, in your daughter's closet or constantly looking over your shoulder for uh, passing coworkers as you shop online, this could be a sign that you're spending more money on an expense on your family and putting a burden even on even during your work time. You know, if you uh, feel anxious uh, on days that you don't shop, that is a good sign that you are a shopaholic. Also, if you shop beyond your means, people will do this. They'll pay off a credit card and then they'll load it again with all kinds of crazy things. So it's really important to identify the triggers, you know, find a new activity to do, exercise, uh, listening to music, reading a book, you know, watching more TV. Boredom is also a great cause for shopaholics because boredom means that you're boring. You're a person that doesn't fill their mind with things that make you feel passionate or make you feel at all. And so you go out and attach to a personal object that will make you feel better about yourself. You also want to identify your triggers. You know, fighting, if getting in an argument is an emotional trigger, then that may be something you have to take on. You know, um, you want to find another way to deal with the triggers. You know, once you've identified with them, go to a different way of dealing with it. Read a book on the subject that's bothering you. 
uh, go to therapy, you know, f- go, go find some way, go drink a cup of coffee downstate, you know, in, in, in your kitchen, you know, do something that makes you be removed from the temptation. You know, it, it's, it's no secret that you shouldn't walk through your favorite boutique if you're trying to curb spending. There's no, you know, don't go to the, to the ice cream store if you have a tendency to always want to buy ice cream. You know, the deal is don't go where the sugar is. Go, don't go where the things are that you like. Go away from those places. Go away from the TJ Maxx's. And I'm not trying to target them, the, the Marshalls, the Ross. Go away from there. Because there's going to be a lot of temptation for somebody who is a shopaholic. You also want to carry enough cash to buy what you need. Because when you live in a lifestyle of cash, you're being forced not to put yourself into as much debt. You have a better chance to manage cash than you do to manage a credit card. And you also want to ask for help. You know, if you're struggling, go get help. Go get mental health therapy. Get some kind of treatment for that depression, that anxiety, that indecisiveness, rather than taking it on, uh, taking it to your family. You know, it's so important to look at the mind of a shopaholic. Some people shop themselves into addiction. An alcoholic can give up booze. A, A gambler can give up Las Vegas. But you have to shop. That is the problem with this. They shop, shop, shop. One day you look in your closet and it's filled with endless stuff and you're in debt and you're, you, you may even have stolen money to satisfy your habit. And sometimes they steal from one source to pay off the other source. And that's basically how they feel better about what they're doing. You know, if you buy things you want, whether or not you can afford them, that's a good sign you are a shopaholic. If you buy things to cheer yourself up or reward yourself, that is the sign of a shopaholic. When you put off buying something you really want, and do you feel deprived or angry or upset? Check in with that emotion and see how you feel. If you really wanted to buy something but you can't, how does that make you feel? You know, it is an addiction. And what determines the difference between someone who simply enjoys shopping and the true shopaholic, well, you know, over uh, preoccupation with buying is a good sign. Anytime, anywhere, in stores, online, on TV, like home shopping or, or, you know, Amazon is just blowing it up. Well, Amazon's blowing it up because a lot of shopaholics like to buy crap and that's what they do. Auction sites is another place that shopaholics love to go. They'll put a lowball uh, figure on a certain object and if they win it, they win it, but that means they got to buy it. It doesn't mean that object was something they need. And uh, often shopaholics have distress, shame, guilt as a result of the activity. Oftentimes, they never resolve their arguments. Uh, they, f- they just feel guilt and shame. They apologize. They feel less than their partner. They actually feel less than their children. They're rather irritable people to live with also um, because it's just so hard to understand because the trust issue that most people have with the shopaholic is what are my finances going to look from one day to the next? They're going to look crappy. They're going to be difficult. And when you track the shopaholic, what you realize is they're more addicted to objects than they are their family and their partner and that can be a very frustrating place to live in and to be with somebody that's like that you know the onomania profile which is a shopaholic 
it, like any addiction, compulsive shoppers experience a lift when they're making a purchase and they often feel the need to feel better, to uh, counteract feelings of depression, anger, loneliness, low self-esteem. And so the purchase brings a momentary euphoria, but much like a gambler feels when they place a bet, the purchases can sometimes act as a symbol for the person's ideal self. For example, a, a woman who is insecure about her looks may compulsively buy fashionable clothing or jewelry to feel more beautiful. And so what they do is they focus on that as their way of beauty rather than taking care of themselves. You know, that when the, the compulsive shopper shops, what happens is their endorphins are released and there is an adrenaline rush. And so the shopping suddenly becomes exciting. And the rush may often be followed by a sense of shame, disappointment, and guilt. And naturally, you want to feel the rush again. So the behavior can spiral dramatically into an abyss. And by the way, I bring this program right now because here we are entering the holidays. And as we get into December, when we get into the Black Fridays, these people go absolutely crazy. The shopping, uh, Black Friday is their Christmas because they have justification to purchase things. And so that makes them blow it out even further. I cannot tell you how many people blow their life savings at Christmas time because they got so caught up in giving the best possible Christmas to all the people they love. And so what they do is they just blow it, blow it, blow it, blow it. And the, the, the sad part is when you're giving gifts, you can't take them back. And so, unfortunately, the shopaholics are buying stuff and these things can't be refunded and they're stuck with the debt. You know, I know buying for people can feel good. I know giving gifts can feel good, but also giving love can feel even better. You know, love is a gift that, that keeps on giving. And, and giving people objects is not necessarily the way you can express your love for them. You know, people understand that all people have budgets and all people have finances and they know that we don't have uh, uh, endless resources. Not all of us. Most of us don't. The vast majority of the United States, the vast majority of people in this world are just getting by. And, and so the fact is you have a shopaholic. That's going to make your life even worse. You may have a middle-class life, but what it happens is you go into so much debt that you live in a life that is just living day after day. Because when you choose to be with a shopaholic, you're going to have to take on the challenge of dealing with that. You know, so how do you get help? Well, one of the main problems in treating it is, it, as with eating, is you usually can't totally stop the behavior. When the shopping gets truly out of a hand, it's become addictive. So psychological invention is usually the best course of treatment. Moving to a cash-based shopping is also a good way. You know, there's a good book, uh, To Buy or Not to Buy, Why We Overshop and How We Stop. That's a really good book, and it's uh, by um, Dr. April Lane Benson. And, uh, you know, the poverty of affluence is a big problem. You know, people that grew up in the Depression back in the 30s they looked at objects as great, great value. And so what happened is once they had the means to actually have an income once again and moved out of the depression and got out of the war, what happened is a lot of these people uh, developed emotional attachments to objects because they never had them. So they began buying and buying and buying and collecting and hoarding because they may need to reuse it again and again and again. And so the fact is, you know, if you haven't used something in the last half year, year, 
give it to somebody who can use it. You know, hoarders who give away or people that are shopaholics, if you can't take it back, give it to somebody who can use it rather than yourself. That is a way of healing. You know, you have to go, when you go to a shopping, you have to ask yourself, why am I here? How do I feel? Do I need this? And, and think about it. If you go to the grocery store when you're hungry, what happens? You go crazy. You buy things for weeks and months at a time. God forbid you go to Costco hungry, and then what happens? You're going to bring home a boatload of crap you don't need. So, you know, you have to understand, why am I here? How do I feel? Do I need this? What, what if I wait? How am I going to pay for it? Where will I put it? And what will this do to our finances? You know, you have to look at that if you are a shopaholic. Um, you know, the psychology is, the, the mind is, you know, they just buy things they can't afford. Now, what are some of the psychological uh, characteristics? Um, basically, uh, if you are dealing with the shopaholic, they are always attached to their phones because now many of the stores that they go to will compare and they'll, they'll match prices. And so they love to shop online to get the best deals. You know, but the, the, they are basically uh, fairly usually uh, doing retail therapy, going into a spending spree. Uh, it alleviates their bad feelings. So what are some of the psyche? Depression, anxiety, indecisiveness, procrastination, constantly taking things back. But also they're looking for validation. Validation is usually the shopaholic's love language. And since they don't get the validation they need from other people, they get the validation from the purchase. And so they're looking for that huge, huge thing. There are also some people that are bipolar that are, are, are shopaholics. And it's a manic uh, phase. And it can be either in a light form or a real heavy form. But what they basically do... Uh, when they get into that manic phase of, of bipolar, they go crazy shopping, and they're trying to struggle with the bipolar through their shopping. But also, there's many people that are obsessive shopaholics. They just can't help themselves. They're obsessed with the idea of getting the best deal, even if it's on something they don't need, and they'll usually have 8,000 excuses for why they've done it, and all of them are not valid. So what do you do if you're a shopaholic? Cut up your credit cards, only carry cash. Track every penny that you spend and, uh, and compare it to when you were addicted to shopping. You, you know, it, it's not an emotional issue to buy things. Go with a list of things you need, not the things you want, things you need. And there is a big difference between a need and a want. And you also want to be able, if you're a shopaholic, to ask for help. All right. That's our show. Our next show is Get a Better Partner Picker. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, my email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Now, remember, if you get hoarders addicted to crack, then they'll sell all of their crap. Boom. Problem solved. <laughs> if cleanliness is next to godliness, then hoarder's house must be the portal to hell. <laughs> you know, a shopaholic thinks the road to recovery is a trip to the mall. And if you know that you are a shopaholic when you'll pay $50 more to get $3 free shipping. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody.
That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 